Welcome to the practice of being seen. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong, relationship therapist and founder of Connectfulness. I believe that when you truly see yourself, you create a ripple effect that allows you to be the change you wish to see in the world. And that invites everyone around you to do the same. In these curated discussions, I invite you to make space to see yourself. But here's a little warning. The practice of being seen might lead to deeper intimacy, less fear, and more creative, bold action. Are you ready to deepen your practice and be seen? Welcome back to the Practice of Being Seen podcast, episode number 39. Today we're joined by Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford. She's a licensed psychologist in the state of Georgia and the creator of Therapy for Black Girls, a mental health platform that includes a practice in Atlanta, Georgia. She's also the host of the popular mental health podcast, Therapy for Black Girls. Dr. Bradford specializes in working with black women, focusing on areas of breakup recovery, healthy relationship skills, assertiveness skills, and self-esteem improvement. She founded the platform in an effort to reduce the stigma associated with mental health issues among black women and to help black women become the best possible versions of themselves. Her work has been featured in Essence, Ebony, The Washington Post, Bustle, and Women's Health Magazine. I am so excited to introduce you to Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, or if you already know of her and her work, to dive in really deep with me today as we explore the intersections of privilege and trauma and the need to filter and how to filter things well and how to live in today's world in a really culturally competent an aware way. So, without further ado, here's the show. I am so excited today to introduce you all to Joy Harden-Bradford. She is an amazing therapist and podcaster. She is the host of Therapy for Black Girls and both the website and the podcast. And I'm just so excited to dive into conversation today with Joy. So, Joy, welcome Thank you so much for having me, Rebecca. I'm happy to be with you. Oh, gosh, I'm really happy to be with you today, too. And I'm excited to see where this conversation takes us. So I wanted to start by just having you share a little bit with our listeners. You have really niched yourself in. You are the host of the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. You have a website by the same name. It's also where your private practice lives. You do a lot of things under that umbrella. And I wanted to just let our listeners know a little bit about how you got here? Like, how did you take this path and why this path? Like, what's the why that's burning underneath it? Because it feels so relevant right now. And I really want to dive in there. Yeah. Well, I think like being in community with black women has always been like personally therapeutic for me. You know, my mom has six sisters. I don't have any sisters. I only have two brothers, but I always grew up around like just a lot of like incredibly strong black women, just like lots of different personalities, um, very close to my grandmothers, you know, so it just feels like I've kind of always been in community with black women. 
and didn't necessarily know I would like niche so far down to that in terms of my practice, but it definitely feels like a very natural extension just of my life. You know, it's so interesting. I find that so much of my own niching also feels like an extension of my life. (laughs) And I think this is something that for a lot of people who are building businesses and brands is probably something really interesting to take a look at. Like, who are you? And dare I say, what healing do you need in the world? Absolutely. (laughs) Right? Absolutely. Yes. Because in many ways, you know, we just need to be a few steps ahead of the people that we serve. And so if we're learning these things, the best way of really integrating them is to teach them. Yes, absolutely. And I think that that's often a conversation, you know, like I feel like some of that is trained out of us in school, you know, like not really putting yourself where the client is. And I'm so really thankful that like our thinking has evolved beyond that because I think you're right. Like I think a lot of good therapy and like good business comes from really having been very closely related to maybe what you're working with clients on. I so agree with you there. And you know, one of the things that comes up for me often that I'm really noticing these days in the therapy room is that I can't always see my own biases. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm working with someone who is quote unquote like me, I might not have as many biases to see, or I might have an even harder time recognizing them, I suppose. But I think there's something about cultural competency that really comes through in your work. It's really something that you promote in your communities. And I would love to dive in a little bit there and hear your thoughts about this, because I think it's something we need to be talking more about. Yes, let's do it. So you have created a network of therapists around the country. Mm Mm-hmm who are culturally competent to work with Black women. Uh Why? Well, I think it feels very necessary to me, you know, so if you look at the numbers just in terms of like who is seeking therapy and mental health services, those numbers tend to be really low for Black women and, well, Black people in general and people of color in general, right? I mean, it's still mostly white women who are seeking mental health services. And so, you know, but thinking about all of the ways that I see Black women struggle and not kind of be the fullness of themselves, it felt really important for me to kind of promote a message of you can get help from people who really care about helping you in ways that don't feel judgmental. You know, like I think it takes a very long time before Black women will make a call to a therapist. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they've had bad experiences with therapists that will make it, you know, less likely that they would try again to see a therapist. And so my experience has been that a lot of black women want other black women therapists and knowing that there just are not that many of us in the field, it felt important to me to kind of make a centralized place where people could find therapists in their areas around the country. I love that you're doing that. I think it's so important. I noticed in a lot of your messaging, the words cultural competency kind of coming in underneath there. Mm -hmm. I want to explore what that means because I think For different people, it could mean different things. And I want to understand your definition of what cultural competency should include. Yeah, and I definitely think it can be different for different people, you know, like that looks different for all of us. And I think for me, it means kind of knowing that you can join with someone and really understand their culture through their eyes without this pressure of like messing up, right? Like I think sometimes we get so afraid of like, 
like making a racist statement or doing something as opposed to kind of allowing that to kind of just be in, in for who they are. So for me, cultural competence really is allowing yourself to sit with a client in the room and have them express all of themselves without having to fear that they have to censor themselves or that they can't tell you like, oh, what you said actually rubbed me the wrong way and you becoming defensive as a therapist. So really allowing space to kind of talk about all these cultural things that we automatically bring into the room. Inviting it in. That's kind of what I'm hearing you say. Right, right. Yeah, and do you have suggestions for how therapists and clients could go about having that discussion that opens up that invitation? Yeah, I think for therapists, it really starts maybe with either having some difficult conversations, either with colleagues or in consultation groups because old or racist or sexist or whatever ist kind of thing that they aren't always honest about some of the things that they are feeling or, you know, don't even want to admit that they may have triggered something for a client in the room. And so I think it really is about, you know, kind of checking in with your own defensiveness and allowing people to tell you, you know, like, hey, I think you may have some growing to do in this space. Colleagues, not your clients. Right, for colleagues, yeah. yes. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Yes, yeah. for, for colleagues. But I think for clients, it is also, you know, I think we still have a lot of education to do around challenging authority, especially for, I think, clients of color. Like sometimes that feels very uncomfortable to say, like, I don't agree with what you just said. But I think clients have a responsibility to challenge their therapist if they feel like something doesn't feel right. You know, I think a lot of times you just see a drop off in treatment because something doesn't feel right, as opposed to going back and saying, hey, you know, that thing you said last week, it really rubbed me the wrong way. Like, I'd like to talk about that. And I don't think that often feels comfortable or like it's okay to even do with a therapist. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I think what's coming up for me as you're talking about this are the power differentials in the therapy room. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, that clients come in with the perception, whether it's accurate or inaccurate, that therapists are somehow an expert. Right. And that we're going to help solve their problems. And therefore, when the therapist says something, if it hurts the client, they don't always know how to bring it up, especially if there's not an open invitation to do that. And I think, you know, you were talking a little bit ago about that difficult conversation that many therapists need to have with their colleagues so that they can really, I think, see themselves, right? It's that reflection point. Mm-hmm. You know, like with our medical doctors, you know, and I think it's just really like, again, the education piece, because with our medical doctors, if they give us a diagnosis, like we might get a second opinion, but I think we often trust that they know what they're talking about. And so I think that that may be a part of why clients don't necessarily feel like they can challenge us or tell us if something's wrong, because it is seen as, oh, this is the doctor and they're telling me this, so it must be true. Whereas, of course, we know that therapy is not like that. You know, like we have expertise in a certain certain area, but you, of course, are the expert on yourself and your life. So really, like you mentioned, you know, making it an invitation to say, if I told you something that doesn't feel quite right for you. I love that. And, you know, I know I start out almost all of my first sessions and repeat myself throughout therapy, often reminding my clients that things that I say don't have to fit and that if they don't, let's talk about that. Just like let's talk about it if they do. I'm also curious, and maybe I'll just kind of put myself out there and 
get a little vulnerable with you and ask you, Hey, am I doing this right? (laughs) (laughs) Right. I, I see a lot of clients of different racial, religious, ethnic, sexual orientations. Like I see clients around, you know, all different kinds of people. And often when they are not quote unquote, like me, I will name it. I will say, you know, I see that we are different, that my skin is different than yours, or my sexuality might be different than yours or whatever the thing is. I might name it really early on in the work and invite that conversation. Yeah, I think that that's totally appropriate. And I think a lot of people may feel like, oh, why would you bring something into the room that isn't right? Like almost like you're kind of prescribing what an issue is going to be. But I also think it's okay to kind of just put something out there. And again, let the client tell you if it sticks or not. You know, like if you mentioned that, like if I were your client and you said that, I could say, yeah, I'm aware of that, but I don't feel like that's an issue for me. Or you could trust that I can say like, oh my goodness, thank you for saying that. I was really hesitant about calling you. You know, like you just never know where that conversation could take you. And so I think as a therapist, putting that kind of on the floor to be discussed, it really just allows the client to know that, okay, if something came up around this, she would be okay to talk to about this because she's already like opened the door for that conversation. Yeah, I've noticed that. And I don't know if I'm always doing it right. I'm still learning as I go here, as I think we all are. I hope we all are. (laughs) Right. Right. But I have noticed that many of my clients who I've used that kind of approach with have all of a sudden then opened up and gone really deep with me Mm -hmm. or have even said, like if I've said it on the second session, instead of saying it on the first session, they've come back into that second session, into that conversation. And they said, yeah, I was thinking that too, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's like, wow, yeah, if these are the things we don't say. And so often there's such content there. Mm hmm. Yeah, especially given the world that we are in now. Oh my gosh, Um, yeah, let's go there. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, we say that kind of thing as if like it's a drastic shift and I think maybe we just are maybe more aware and social media allows us to kind of get you know, continued accounts of stories of like injustice and stuff happening. I think the Um, shift is that we're having the conversation. Yes. Yes. That definitely are at least attempting to maybe have the conversation. Some of us are trying to have it. Right. Yeah. But I think for a lot of like black people or people of color, I think that right now, Going to a therapist, you know, kind of depending on what your presenting issue is, going to a therapist who is not a person of color and not knowing kind of where they stand and like maybe political stance and kind of where their thinking is around, you know, issues of justice, I think would be very, very hard right now. Oh, my God. I think it would be so scary. I can't imagine feeling all the feelings and feeling all the fear that comes with being a person of color today in this country and not knowing if you can sit down with somebody whom you're trying to get really vulnerable with and work on your inner stuff and not knowing if you can really trust them. Right. That to me, that sounds horrific. Yeah, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't I just, do it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I know a lot of people who would, you know, so I think that, you know, kind of underscores the importance, like you're saying, of opening up that conversation, you know, like, what must it have been like for somebody to come to your office, kind of given the political climate? Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody is impacted in the same ways, but I think to be able to name that in the room is very important, especially now. It's incredibly important, and I'm really glad we're having this conversation and that our 
listeners kind of can pick up on this thread with us. Yeah. And before we kind of shift a little bit, is there anything else about this that you really feel is important and want to sink into a little bit? Leave. I know you have a directory that we'll make sure to include in our show notes so that people who feel like this is a population they really want to serve, Black women, that they can get on that directory and be more easily found by the people who need these services. I know I asked a question. I didn't give you space to answer it. I want to make space for that. But I also find myself curious right now. And I'm feeling called into the joy. You created this amazing thing. (laughs) So (laughs) I want to make space for you to kind of be expansive in both of those directions right now. Yeah, I'm feeling like it's okay to move. So talk to me a little bit about this live thing that you're creating. Are you talking about the directory? I'm talking about all of it. Yeah, the directory (laughs) is certainly a part of it. But I feel like you're a woman who is building something so much bigger than herself. And I'm guessing that where this is going, it's conceptualized. But I mean, some of it is just flow. Yeah, I would say probably the majority of it is flow. Yeah, I mean, like this feels like a calling at this point from what I'm looking at at the outside. You know, I'm watching you grow and like, I get so excited watching you grow. (laughs) Well, thank you, Rebecca. Yeah, like I think a lot of it really is just flow. You know, like I really strive to be of service and you know, if I see a need and I feel like there is something that I can do about it, then I just kind of like put my thinking cap on and, you know, kind of play with different options. Like even the directory started because I kept seeing conversations on social media of black women saying, hey, I'd like to find a therapist, another black woman therapist or, you know, whatever. And so I put a call out for people to like basically nominate their therapist if they had had a good experience with them. Like, hey, I had a good experience. This may be somebody worth checking out kind of thing. So it totally started just as a Google Doc of, you know, like, hey, nominate your therapist if you felt pleased with them. So, you know, it feels like it happened very organically. And then it just kind of spun out of control. Like people who wanted to add their practice and, you know, new clients wanted to nominate their therapist. And so it felt like something that I needed to kind of, okay, let me get some real organization to this and like make it a real thing. And even the podcast, you know, like I am a podcast junkie. I'm like, I listen to lots of podcasts. And so it felt very natural for me to have a podcast because I felt like there was something that I wanted to offer to the world and have conversations again with black women around like mental health issues. And that has really just taken off kind of again, out of my control, you know, so it feels like I will like kind of do things hoping to be of service and then figure out how to do the organization around it after it kind of takes off. And I don't think you're the first person I've talked to who has said something like this. I know Melvin Varhees also talks very much about leading from this heart of service and how providing the service is the thing and everything else kind of follows and it's successful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I love this model. <laughs> like, I, I think it's probably the best model in the world. The one that just leads with creating things that people need. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. You yeah. know, it's going to land somewhere. Well, for one, you mm-hmm. know, people need it and you know, you feel called towards it. So I think this is just amazing. I'm curious kind of what things might be percolating in the background for you. What either conversations you might be wanting to bring a voice to or what kinds of other things you're thinking about growing? Yeah. So I've been kind of thinking on like some book ideas 
I'm not quite sure where that is headed. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm not even quite sure of a, like a topic, but it feels like, you know, something that would be a natural extension. And like, I have more to say about some X, Y, Z, you know, so thinking about, okay, do I want to, first of all, how do you shop a book idea? Like even figuring out the beginning process of that, or do I go like a self-publishing route? So really kind of getting some more ideas about that. And I'm not even sure if that's like the top of my priority list. It still feels like I really have more to do with the podcast because like I said, because it has become so popular and, you know, I get such great feedback around it. I feel like I really want to do and be more intentional around, you know, like the topics I'm choosing and the guests I'm inviting because so far it has been great, but it feels like, okay, I could be doing more, you know, so I really want to kind of spend some time kind of sitting with the podcast for a while too, to kind of see how that grows and what that becomes. I love it. Are there more conversations that you want to be diving into? Like, is there a direction and explorations topics that you're feeling called to? Yeah, you know, what has been interesting for me, and I joke, like my husband is my producer, he he produces the podcast, and he does all my like editing and stuff. And so we have these conversations like, okay, what is the topic going to be this week and that kind of thing. And it has been really interesting for me, you know, kind of just given what's happening in the world, like I may have an idea about what the show is going to be about this week. But then like last week, for example, was that last week? I'm getting the dates confused, but you know, like whenever the Las Vegas shooting happened, then it felt like, okay, well, whatever I was going to talk about, like I have to focus on this now. So So, take a backseat. Yeah. I mean, that is some of the flexibility of like having an in-home producer, right? That we could kind of quickly revamp a show and, you know, kind of just stay up all night getting it done. But it does make me think about, you know, how I can, again, continue to be intentional about the platform that I have, because I do think it also comes with a tremendous responsibility, you know, and like something that I have struggled with in the past is kind of, you know, kind of my own vision for the podcast, but also what I feel my community needs. And, you know, there's sometimes maybe being attention there, like feeling like, okay, we need you to kind of do this kind of thing and kind of show up and be present, even when I'm feeling like, really worn down by everything that's happening in the world, you know? Like the episode that I did around after Charlottesville, that one felt very hard. And I think, again, you know, just the culmination of all of these like events in the world, you know, it just feels very heavy. You know, I think for a lot of us, yeah, it feels very heavy and it feels like with each new thing, you just don't know like how it's going to affect you. But and this is something you've been talking about a lot on your show. You've been talking a lot about the need to filter. It's been a message that I've been hearing in multiple episodes you delivering to your listeners. Yes. And, you know, I always challenge them and also, again, challenge myself to like (laughs) do better with filtering because a lot of, you know, what I pick up on and what I feel like is necessary to address comes from like the conversations I see on social media. But that also means that I'm spending time on social media and seeing these things even when I may need to be taking a backseat. Right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, Charlottesville, again, just felt very heavy for me and I felt very worn down that week and and felt very resistant to even put out an episode about it because it just felt like I don't want to talk about this like I don't want to have to keep doing this but then it felt like but I know this is what 
the community needs. You know, oh like I God. know that this is what other people are expecting. Other people kind of need to hear some of these messages around self-care. So I did definitely struggle with myself that week around kind of showing up for other people in ways that, you know, I'm trying to challenge them to like show up for yourself first, right? And not always think about other people. But I think some of that kind of wanting to be of service really means you have to kind of check yourself around what are your boundaries and making sure that I'm taking really good care of myself too and not kind of always kind of wanting to be the voice for the community when I don't feel like I can show up like I need to. So talk to us a little bit about how you do that. How do you check yourself? How do you make sure that you're doing your self-care, that you're checking your boundaries and doing all of that so that you can show up for the community that you care so deeply about? Yeah, so something that has been incredible is that I recently hired a virtual assistant who manages like quite a bit of my social media now because some of that tension I think was coming from like some of the feedback I was getting from people like, hey, we need this from you kind of thing. And so kind of always getting those messages felt really difficult. But now that I'm not really managing that piece, she filters a lot of that for me. So I'm not kind of feeling the pull to do something that doesn't quite feel in alignment with what I feel like I need at the time. So that has been like an amazing kind of, you know, I didn't know that that would take such a weight off, but it definitely has. Yeah. I find that having a VA is also like so relieving for me, although I don't have them doing my social media. And I imagine that your social media is like on a totally different level than mine is because you're really engaging conversations with so many people, both therapists and women. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. You know? Yeah. 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 I want to talk about this time we're living in, Mm -hmm. right? Where Charlottesville, Las Vegas, Pulse, Mm -hmm. hurricanes, major fires, you know, like there's just so much disruption in the world right now. Mm -hmm. And What I'm hearing on social media and elsewhere in my client sessions and whatnot in my own heart is this craving for safety that people want to know more. They want to feel safer. They don't know where they can feel safe and where they can't. Some of it's emotional. Some of it's very physical. I have a friend that just lost her home in the Sonoma fires, you know, so there's a lot of different kinds of capacity of well-being that people are seeking right now. And I'm curious if you have anything to add to that conversation, just around what you feel our society, our world, ourselves, what we need right now. Yeah, that feels like a really tough question, Rebecca, because I feel like as therapists, we kind of know sometimes that you can't provide that safety, right? Like a lot of what we're Mm -hmm. talking about is things that are out of our control. And so I think some of it really comes to like some of the distress tolerance kinds of skills and kind of learning to sit with things that we don't have control over and that really freak us out. You know, like there's no way for us to control a hurricane. There's no way for us to predict which concert you're going to be at. And, you know, someone decides to shoot, like it's just so all out of our control. And that feels very scary. It feels incredibly scary. Yeah. There's something that we need to do as providers within ourselves so that we can continue to do the work of holding the space. Yes. And I think that's sometimes very uncomfortable, right? Like, how am I sitting in this space with you when I don't know how to do that for my family? You know, like, I feel just as freaked out about all of this as you. 
you know, so it, it really is, I think, a joining together. A joining, of, yeah. Yeah, you know. A like, joining <laughs> in that truth, like sitting <laughs> right. in that and saying like, yeah, this is really, really freaking hard. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. 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 And I think that there's also some modeling that we can do, like mm-hmm. the filtering that you talk about, finding different ways, like I was in New York City on September 11th and I watched the towers fall from the street. And I mean, that was awful. And I worked and counseled a lot of people following. The awfulest part for me was television. Mm -hmm. I had to turn off the TV. I couldn't be around people who were watching it. I couldn't go places where people were watching the replays. That was the awfulest part for me. I don't know if awfulest is a word, but it is today. But I'm just thinking through of like, that's my experience with a terribly traumatic event. We have so many different events happening now and there's so much media coverage. And this is, I think, the filtering that you talk about so much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, turn it especially. off. <laughs> You're right. Just turn it off. And I feel like, you know, like even since September 11th, like look how much more technology and like how much more media like permeates everything that we do now. You know, oh like it's a 24 hour like news cycle. Like everything is like right at your fingertips. You know, like videos just start playing in apps and you don't even know what you're watching. You know, I mean, so I think you have to be very vigilant and proactive in kind of curating your news experience because otherwise like you can kind of get triggered and not even know like what you're walking into, you know? So I, I, you know, I'm always telling people about like the different settings you have to go into so that you can kind of turn off the automatic play on your like timelines, like on Twitter and Facebook so that those things don't just start playing that you have to be intentional about clicking it, you know, and also telling people to be careful with what you're sharing you know I think we think that we're doing something by continuing to like share these stories and like oh I want to bring attention to this but I think you can trust that that is shared somewhere else you know like if people want to see this and need to hear about it they can without us continuing to share like these tweets or like reposting things on Facebook because I think that again continues to like share this trauma that is really hard to kind of stomach like I don't think we are designed to be watching some of the things that we're watching, like just in daily life. Like it is incredibly assaulting to our psyches. And I don't think we even realize it. Yeah. And I love that you go through those steps of how you can turn things off, how you can shut things down. A question that I've been seeing coming up a lot is, well, how can I help? (laughs) How can I contribute to making things better? Mm -hmm. Whatever that means, you know, I'm seeing a lot of that. And for a lot of helpers, a lot of healers, a lot of therapists, they're feeling called into like directly into the trauma, especially if they have a trauma background, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of the work that they offer Mm -hmm. at an expense of themselves, right? So I think that sometimes the filtering and the conversation that we're having around social media, I'm thinking we also have to be having this conversation on another level Mm -hmm. around there are so many communities these days that need different kinds of support and holding and healing. And we don't all have to run into all of those communities. Right. 
Right. And I think sometimes certain things feel easier to do. You know, like if you have a trauma background and you see, of course, there was a call for the casino in Las Vegas, like for trauma trained therapists to come and help and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But definitely, you know, like if that's something that you can do and you feel called to do that, you can. But I think in some ways that feels like a safer easier thing than to sometimes like even just engage in conversations around like white privilege with colleagues you know like sometimes that feels safer and the conversation may actually be easier to do you know and but I think that we often avoid those things and it's my experience and my belief that some of like the framework of the country in terms of white privilege is what leads to a lot of these things you know so that if we were having more intentional conversations around those things then we could get to the issues related to like gun control and you know all of these other things but I think we are just so afraid to have some of those conversations. Joy I'm smiling here right now as you're saying this because I feel a little bit called out and I'm appreciating (laughs) it. That we're talking about this other stuff and we're not talking about white privilege. And let's go there. Shine the light on my shit. <laughs> that definitely was not intentional. But I know it, came it wasn't, to me. but that's why I'm smiling because I'm like, this is so organic and it makes so much sense. And I've been doing it right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I think it is just a very tough conversation to have. I mean, you and I are both like very active on Facebook and like a lot of the like therapist communities and have seen like just the most off-the-wall things happen with other therapists. And I think in some ways it feels very disappointing because you know that like people are going to some of these people and and I don't necessarily always think it's malicious. I think that people's stuff is so unchecked and they haven't been called out or completely resistant to be called out that they don't even know like how they may be hurting clients and hurting themselves. And you know, I'm married to a man of color. Mm-hmm. And we often have conversations at home where like, I don't even see the issue sometimes mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. it's pointed out to me. Right. You know, these are definitely things that I can easily walk around in the world and not notice our issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I might look at it when someone else brings it up and say, I don't see it. Right. And that's my privilege. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's okay for you not to see it, but it's not okay for you to then say, because I don't see it, it doesn't exist. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Like, pause, look at it now. (laughs) Right. Kind of like, now that I've brought it to your attention. (laughs) (laughs) Now that I heard Joy say that thing, we're going there. (laughs) Right. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and I think, you know, the biggest example we see of it right now, I mean, well, so many examples but you know with all this like controversy around like NFL players and like standing or kneeling or doing whatever right for this um, is ridiculous to me (laughs) like I can't wrap my head around why this is an issue other than the fact that he who shall not be named made it one (laughs) right right as a way to like detract from like everything else that he's trying to like not have us pay attention to Um. it's, it's so much like this whole thing mm-hmm. feels so much like the, I keep getting that like do not look at the man behind the curtain kind of mm-hmm. you know the, the Wizard of Oz right. I keep thinking of that whenever I think of him right, right. <laughs> that's a very good depiction of everything that's going on with him <laughs> but I feel like you know 
it's such a split, right? Like think about what splitting is like Mm -hmm. literally he has just walked into a conversation, become a wedge. He made an issue out of something that wasn't an issue. Mm -hmm. The taking a knee was not really and a huge divisive issue Mm -hmm. until he made it one. Right. And again, though, look how we are now talking about that as opposed to like the reason why Colin Kaepernick was taking a knee in the first place. You know, so it was all about, yeah, it was all about like the police brutality and really wanting kind of justice in our justice system and, you know, really kind of looking at what's going on with policing and those kinds of things. And I think there's another layer in here too, right? It's like, how can people of color protest right now in a way? You can't. Like you can't, you can't even take a freaking knee. No. You I mean, there's you nothing. Can't. What is so crazy about taking a knee in protest? Like, who is that hurting? Yeah, I mean, well, you know, there have been all of these like false correlations to like patriotism and, you know, meaning of talking about the flag and is this disrespectful to veterans? And even though veterans themselves, many of them have come out and said, actually, no, we're not offended. We fought for your right to do whatever kind right. of thing, you know, but still, like, I think people who want to see it as an extension of that, well, that's all they will be able to see as opposed to looking at what it really was about originally. Yeah. And it, I mean, this is where like the craziness of our society really shines through. Right. You know, right. like all the stuff we want to change and we feel powerless to do. We feel right. powerless to change. So what do we do? Like you can take a knee and then that becomes an issue. Right. Like the message is be quiet. And that is not okay. Exactly. That is the message. It's very loud and clear. Like, it's not okay for you to say anything. Like, just be quiet. We allow you to still be here. We allow you guys to work. So, you know, we allow you to play in our NFL. So just be quiet and like show up for work. No. (laughs) No, make noise. (laughs) Let's all make noise together. And so this brings me in. How can I, how can the rest of us be better allies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I am always really appreciative when people kind of stand up, non people of color kind of challenge their colleagues because, you know, you may be able to imagine, but maybe not like how exhausting that feels to not only be like living the experience of like continuing to be oppressed, but also then like having, having to challenge, yeah. right? like having to challenge your colleagues and, you know, people who are saying like, oh, this isn't actually an issue of white privilege and I just don't see it. And, you know, all that stuff, like, I don't want to have those conversations anymore. Like, and I'm really thankful that, you know, people like you and other people will say like, hey, actually, let's look at it this way, you know, like, and not even wait, like, I don't want to have to send you an instant message, Rebecca, and say, hey, Rebecca, this thing is happening. Would you go in and like challenge these people? Like, I want you to just see it and know that you need to say something and not wait for a person of color to actually be the one who then oftentimes gets attacked. You know, like it just is a downward spiral, you know, and of course, sometimes people can hear it differently and easier from a person who is not a person of color. Totally. And yet, I think that part of the exhaustion and the fatigue that you and so many other people of color, I'm sure, are feeling is that those of us who want to be allies don't always see it fast enough because Mm -hmm. we're not living the experience. We're not in the same shoes. Right, right. I want to see it faster. I know that, you know, and I'm trying to train my eye and my psyche and my heart too. And yet, I know that there's a lot I miss, like in this conversation. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and again, I think that that is, again, okay, because you are not me and you will never experience the world that I do. But I do think, you know, you can be attentive to like, okay, typically this is how situations like this go down. Let right. me kind of keep an eye on it kind of thing. You know, like just kind of being more aware and attentive to situations that, you know, could potentially be an issue. I love this conversation. <laughs> I want to like be sitting with you over like a cup of tea or, or some really great drinks and just like keep going further into this yeah. and to be talking more. That. We can do that one day. Yeah. Let's <laughs> yes. Joy, it has been such a privilege to dive in with you today and to talk about like such a wide variety, but so so woven together, like these topics, these difficult conversations about privilege and trauma, that kind of goes together, right? Like those are the conversations that we're having right. that we need to be having more of. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. What would you like to leave our listeners with in terms of your thoughts around what this conversation has been for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it really is just an invitation to kind of drop some of your defensiveness around some of these topics and really be open to hearing people who have a different experience, you know, and saying this really hurts. And for you not to kind of come back and say, oh, it didn't hurt me, but to really understand like why it might be hurting someone else. You know, I think we really just need to drop some of our defensiveness and be open to these conversations, even though they're difficult. I think this is another really important message here. It's the place between the defensiveness and the discomfort. Yes, that's where the real work happens. Yeah. In in yeah. so many ways and so much of therapy and so much of life. Right. So much of our personal growth. Yeah. It's being able to navigate that. And so maybe a good place for us to land is <laughs> I'm gonna give you a great big question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you have any suggestions about how people navigate that space? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, interesting. <laughs> and not. <laughs> so I think, oh, what's her name? What's the lady who has done a lot of, oh, of course I'm blanking on her name now. She's done a lot around white privilege, like all these videos and you see her. Is it Robin too. D'Angelo? Not, no. No? Okay. Mm-mm. I know Older two Robin lady. D'Angelos. Oh, is it, is it, is it Peggy McIntosh? I know she has the unpacking the invisible knapsack article, but it's a lady with your little glasses. I'm not sure that I know, but I want to know. Okay. Well, I, so how about this? We'll look for who it is and we'll make sure to sure. include it in the show notes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> but I think she has a lot of like great videos that help you to kind of like just get an introductory look at what some of this looks like. And I also think a really good way is to like, pay attention to different conversations that you wouldn't necessarily gravitate towards. So like reading like news outlets that you might not typically or checking out different like social media feeds from different kinds of communities and cultures just to kind of, and not in a voyeuristic way, but just to kind of have a different pulse on what kinds of things are going on and to see what kinds of conversations are happening. So I'm kind of hearing like two pieces to this. One part is go ahead and start filtering your, like the consumption of 
media and what you take in, but do it really mindfully and do it in a way where you're not just consuming like white bread, but you're adding vegetables and other things that are important into that diet. Yes, absolutely. That's a great way of summing that up. Yeah, that that feels really nice. I like the intentionality behind that. And I can really conceptualize it, you know, as I like when I talk to clients and I talk to them about like, you know, you need to put down your phones and be together for X number of X amount of time per day. I can conceptualize this in a similar kind of way. Like we all need to not be on our phones all the time. We not need to not be taking in all this media all the time and be mindful about when and how we do. Yes, absolutely. I agree with that. Yeah. So thank you again for this conversation, Joy. Our listeners can find you at therapyforblackgirls.com. Is that right? Yes, that is the hub of all of my activity. It's the hub of it all. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Rebecca. Oh, I've so enjoyed this. I was really taken by this conversation with Joy today, and I hope that you were too. Among the many, many things (laughs) that I'm going to be taking away was the experience I had of feeling really gently called out for avoiding the things that felt harder for me to talk about and talking about the things that felt easier. I know that I do this. This is something that I am noticing, especially this is the gift of podcasting and being able to re-listen to the actual conversation that you've had. It's something that I'm noticing that I, I do sometimes. And I'm loving the awareness that I'm gaining around when and where I do it. I encourage you to also start noticing where you may be doing this. And I think this conversation was a, a really nice little glimpse or um, a glimpse into that moment of awareness. So I hope that that resonates with you and, and that many other things do too. And I really do want to hear what does resonate. So please do drop me a line over at practiceofbeingseen.com slash feedback. And as always, I want to help you see yourself. That's, that's what I do. So if you're a therapist or healer and you want to dive deeper, then I encourage you to check out the Connectfulness Method Mentorship Program. More information is going to be coming out about this program, but really quickly, it's going to be a 22-week program that starts just after Thanksgiving and runs until the end of April, at which point there will be a retreat that you'll have the option of joining us at as a final culmination and it's going to be an amazing experience and I'm really excited about this inaugural group that we're going to be taking through so there's a link in the show notes that you can click to learn more and sign up for all the updates and otherwise I will look forward to seeing you back here next week for another episode of the Practice of Being Seen podcast The Practice of Being Seen podcast is produced by me, Rebecca Wong along with the support of my amazing behind-the-scenes team, Nicole Stevenson and Christy Hausler. Music by Chris Farris Jr. and Sr. and produced by Kidney Stone Studio. We hope that you enjoyed the show and will join us next week for another episode of the Pobscast. Brought to you by Connectfulness.